to Matthew 13, and we will continue our steady progress through the Gospel of Matthew. We're looking at three additional parables to Matthew's uh, collection, if you will. All of chapter 13 is about parables. They're not all of the parables that Jesus wrote or spoke, but they are the ones that Matthew wants us to grasp in order to get this particular truth. It may or may not be obvious at this point to you that there is a lot of information in this passage. If you've already read through it, uh, you may become aware that there's a lot going on here, and more than uh, we could be able to cover in our short time this morning. Uh, and some some of the things are just because I, I'm still working through them and trying to understand them myself, and so I don't I don't dare try to stand up and and uh, talk about things that don't don't completely make sense to me. But I think the main issue of the passage, the main issues of the passage are pretty clear. So we're going to work our way through this uh, passage looking at what I think is the overall picture that Matthew is painting uh, as he uh, continues to add to what he's already been uh, doing in the first 12 chapters. And as Matthew continues to work towards following chapters. If you imagine a a painting, and for 12 chapters, Matthew has been uh, working on this masterpiece, and chapter 13 uh, is not isolated. It's it's a continuation of whatever he's been working on for 12 chapters and what he will continue to work on for about uh, another, another 12, 13 chapters. We're near the halfway point in the gospel. And if you're following with what Matthew's been saying in the last uh, little while, you're noticing that Jesus has been speaking primarily to Jewish people. And these people, for the most part, don't believe who He is as the Messiah. They're they're interested in the miracles Jesus does. They're interested in the, the, the things that Jesus says. But in believing on Him, that's a different story. As we finish chapter 12, we thought about the rejection of Jesus by the Jewish nation as a whole. There were some, a remnant, if you will, who believed. But as a whole, as a collective, uh, Israel rejected Jesus. And then in the first part of the chapter 13, the first parable we looked at last Sunday, Jesus describes how and why many reject Him while others believe and receive Him, or receive the words of the kingdom. Now think about the people who are listening to Jesus for a moment. These people standing on the beach listening to him teach. They've heard enough of Jesus' teaching by now to have formed some kind of an opinion about him. As I said several times before, you cannot be neutral with, with, with Jesus. You must make a decision. You must uh, take a stand on with or against Christ. So these people uh, have come to some kind of a conclusion about him. And as we saw in the parable of the soils last Sunday, uh, some immediately and completely reject him. Others uh, initially follow, but then eventually fall away from him. And then for some, they receive his message. They allow it to take hold of their hearts and transform their lives. These are the disciples. And so in your mind, you can easily uh, separate the two by thinking of the everybody on the beach and then the 12 disciples. And it's not that cut, clear and cut. There were others who believed and followed him. 
And maybe the disciples were standing on the beach with him, I don't know. But the, the, these, these people who have received the word are the ones who are following Jesus. They are disciples. They've received the message. They've bought in. They're all in. And as they listen to Jesus' teaching, I can imagine, especially the twelve, they've been with him now for some time. They have witnessed everything that Jesus has witnessed. They've, they've heard the same teaching. And they've believed, and these other people don't. They've seen the miracles, and they see them as a sign of who Jesus is, and these other people just see it as a a really cool trick. And I wonder if the disciples begin to uh, begin confused. Why things aren't going as well as they hoped? You know, they believe he's he's God, and he's going to bring in the kingdom, and he's going to do all these wonderful things that God has promised to Israel down through the ages. Why isn't anybody else getting it? Why isn't this working like it should? The success rate of this mission that they're joined up with is not going as well as they'd expected it to be. And with all of the, even just in the the, the short uh, samples that we've gotten so far and what we know is going to come, the attacks against Jesus, the resistance against His teaching and His person. And I wonder if the question uh, uh, comes up in their mind, is this going to work? Is this plan that Jesus has going to actually work? Is it going to happen? How could they, as the disciples of Jesus, survive against the overwhelming odds, the persecution and the rejection? And not really survive, but thrive. As they have been told that it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be a difficult road. As later they'll be told to take up their cross, realizing that this is going to be a tough a tough uh, thing to do to be a disciple of Jesus. And even as he talks about the parable of the soil and the persecution and the, and, and the challenges that they face, even as they follow him, I wonder if these questions come to mind. And in these next three parables, we, we see that there's an answer to this, to this question. Maybe they didn't ask that question, but I asked the question, and maybe you've thought about that too. These three parables that we're looking at are the last of the parables that Jesus delivers to the crowd. There are more to come, but they were specifically given to the disciples after Jesus left the beach. We read that, we read that transition as when Jesus explains the parable of the weeds, he's in back in the house, the crowd is gone, and he will continue to give some parables we'll look at next Sunday, but uh, they, they were only for the followers. And so overall, as we walk through these three parables, I want you to see that no matter what it may look like in the world, everything is going exactly according to God's plan. That's the overall idea that I I hope to to show you in this this, uh, morning. That God is still in control. That Jesus was perfectly aware of everything was going on in his ministry. He knew how his ministry was going. He knew the state of it, where things were headed, how things were developing, and I think he also knew how it was going to end. And so as we consider this first parable, I want you to notice before we, we read it again, how that although many uh, people reject the message of the kingdom, they're going to persecute it, they're going to attack it, they're going to try to destroy the work that Jesus is doing, But despite opposition, the kingdom will endure. There are going to be challenges, there are going to be difficulties, but God's word will stand. God's kingdom will last. Look at verse 24, please. 
He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I'll tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And the parable here was given to the crowd, but as we read, uh, the interpretation of the parable doesn't come until verse 36, after Jesus goes back into the house and explains it to his disciples. And there Jesus reveals the connection of several of the elements of the story. So if you look there, and when Jesus um, is asked by the disciples uh, in verse 36, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. In verse 37, Jesus gives us the explanation. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. This is so wonderful when you don't have to try to figure out what these things mean. Now, he didn't tell us everything. He didn't, he didn't assign every element in the story a category. And so we want to pay attention to that and only pay attention to what he did assign a category. And so we don't want to figure out, okay, well, what about the, the men that, that, that came and asked the questions? Are those different than the harvesters and all that? That, 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 can, that can be interesting discussion, but ultimately unfruitful. So we want to just pay attention to what Jesus is actually explaining to us. So we'll take these two passages, the bookends of our, of our Scripture this morning, and, and put them together and try to make an, an understanding out of it. The sower, who is Jesus, sowed good seed or wheat in his field. Now, now pay attention uh, to the words I'm saying, because weed and wheat sound a lot alike if I don't say them very, very clearly, and I don't always do that. So uh, I may say the word tares, which is another, another uh, word for the weed there. But while the, the sower was, uh, uh, he had planted his good seed, and we know that it was going to be wheat, and he, and he sows it in his field, and the field we, we see is the world. While his men were sleeping, the enemy, who is Satan, slips in and sows tares or weeds in the field. Nobody knows this uh, until later on. As Jesus explained, uh, these two different seeds represent two different kinds of people. Now, in our first parable, uh, the, the people were represented by the soil, by the dirt, the four different types of soil. And the seed that was sown in them was the Word of God. But now the people are the seed, and the field is the world. So make sure that you don't you know, mesh these two parables together. You're going to get all confused. The wheat, or the good seeds, are the sons of the kingdom. They are disciples of Jesus. And the tares, or the weeds, are sons of the evil one, sons of the devil. They are unbelievers. So we can identify these two groups of people very succinctly by saying we have believers, we have unbelievers. We have Christians, we have non-Christians. Uh, we have disciples, we have non-disciples. And Jesus has gone out into the world to make disciples, but Satan has also come in and planted his own sons. These are unbelievers among the wheat. Now, according to the story, you couldn't really tell uh, what was wheat and what was tare at the initial stage. Uh, the, the, everything happened uh, as it normally would have gone on, at, at least in the story, until some time passed when the wheat began to produce grain. It began to produce its fruit. 
And the word for uh, the word that is used here for the word wheat, or, or I'm sorry, weed or tear, is called darnel. Does anybody know what darnel is? Would you raise your hand? I asked on Wednesday night, and I think only one person does, still the same person. He still knows what it means, so that's good. He's not losing anything. That's, that's, a, that's a positive. But uh, darnel is, uh, uh, is, a, is, is, a, is a type of weed that looks like wheat uh, at, at the first, but then eventually it reveals itself to be an imposter. Uh, and it's a, it's a harmful weed. It's not just like having crabgrass or anything. It's, it's, it's actually harmful, and it, and, it, and it has some pretty negative side effects. Uh, but it looks like the wheat. It looks like the good stuff at first. But needless to say, a farmer who's planting wheat doesn't want darnel in his crop mixed in. It'll contaminate it. It, it, uh, it lessens the quality of it. And so it makes sense then that when the, the, the servants, the slaves of the uh, master of the house of the sower realize that there is uh, bad mixed in with the good, they want to go and remove it right away because we don't want this to damage our crop or your crop, uh, they say to the master. But the master chooses to allow them to grow among the wheat until the harvest day. He says, no, leave it alone. Let it grow up. It's there. Let it grow. Let it do its thing uh, among the wheat until the day of harvest. And on that day, I'm going to tell the reapers to gather up the, the weeds, the darnel, and bundle them up and burn them, and then they will gather the wheat into the barn. Now, Jesus explains all of this after he's given us all the different uh, definitions. Now, he explains what he meant by that in verse number 40. Look there. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. So he's talking about something that's going to happen one day. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. And again, he uses this phrase, He who has ears, let him hear. So though judgment has been postponed for these weeds, it will come. And this judgment will be thorough and just, and severe. So if we go back to the initial thought about the success rate of Jesus' ministry, yes, there is opposition and difficulty. But Jesus knew about it, and he even allowed it for a time. He explained that there will be weeds among the wheat during the growing season. And so the point of this parable is one of judgment. Though there are weeds and tares among the good seed, one day they're going to be dealt with. Though not at this time, but in due time. And Jesus, and in Jesus' parable, we learn why He's chosen to wait. Why He has allowed these things to happen. And it's for the sake of the good seed, for the sake of the wheat or the sons of the kingdom. Because some of the wheat might be immature, not having yet uh, borne its fruit. And since the grain is what distinguishes the wheat from the tares, and it doesn't come instantly, we know that from looking at uh, uh, the, the previous parable and just from having our own experience working with uh, things that grow out of the ground, fruit doesn't come the next day. It takes time. And, and since that could have been the case with some of this, it's possible that some of the good seed, the wheat that is just immature, is mistaken to be a weed and uprooted. And But also Jesus says in verse 29 there that in gathering the weeds, the servants might root up the wheat along with them. 
Because darnel doesn't just grow alongside wheat. It actually mixes itself in and kind of wraps itself around the, the good stuff. And so uh, the, 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 the servants the, the, would be as careful as they could, but it would just inevitably happen that as they pulled up the bad stuff, they would uproot some good stuff. So out of care and, for, and concern for the good seed, Jesus allows the tares to remain until the harvest judgment. Now, let's just recognize here before we go on that there's, there's something for us here, that it is not our job to determine who is a wheat and who's a weed. We cannot know for certain who is a son of the kingdom and who isn't. And it's not for us to try to figure it out. That's not our job as Christians to, to sit around and evaluate other people's uh, salvation. Well, I don't know about that person over there. I don't know. That's, not, that's not for us to do. Uh, now, according to the Great Commission and other passages that we find throughout the New Testament, right now it's our job for sowing, not for weeding. It's not our job to go out and, and try to clear and cleanse the world of all the evil that we find. It is our job as disciples of Jesus to continue His work of sowing seed and making disciples, not cleansing the earth of unbelievers. We look through history and we've seen how uh, religion has taken on the role of cleansing the earth of all the evil that is, that is there. And it never, uh, as, as never was God's intention for us to do that. But while it is difficult for us to discern who are the true and false disciples, God certainly knows. God's not wondering who the real ones are and who the false ones are. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, The Lord knows those who are His. And on harvest day, He will perfectly, justly, and finally separate the good from the bad, the tare from the wheat. And as in verse 41, those who are not good seed will be judged by fire, while the sons of the kingdom will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. And again, it may not look like it from a human perspective. Like that's what God is doing. God has this plan and He's working His plan. But God's got it covered. God's got it figured out. You, know, you, ever, you ever work with someone who is just a little bit of a worrywart and they're, oh no, how are we going to do this? And you, I've got it figured out. It's okay. Calm down. And that's, and that's essentially what we can learn from this story. Is that we can look at all the evil in the world. Look at all the bad. Look at all the problems. Look at all the wickedness. It's okay. God, God knows what's going on. God has a plan. God's got it covered. And so when we get the perspective of Scripture, we learn that nothing is getting past God's attention. He will judge the unbelievers. He will receive the good seed into His kingdom. And He guarantees that His kingdom will endure. And next we see the parable of the mustard seed in verses 31 and 32. And these two next parables are very short, but they have a very important truth to understand. And as you can see, it's, it's, it's only two verses long, but it's got a, a very powerful truth behind it. And that is this, out of humble beginnings, the kingdom will grow. Verse 31 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And there's a lot of a little nitty-gritty that you can get into about, well, mustard seeds aren't, the, aren't actually the smallest seeds and all that. We're not going to explain that. If you have questions, we can talk about that later. Let's just uh, try to understand what Jesus meant by that. I think Jesus knew which was the smallest seed, and so uh, he doesn't need a, a biology lesson. The Jews typically understood 
that the coming kingdom of God was going to be a great kingdom. This is not what Jesus is trying to teach them, that the kingdom is coming and it's going to be awesome. They knew that already. They had great, grand, glorious uh, ideas of what the kingdom was going to be like. They had looked for the promises in Scripture and in the covenants that God had made with His people, and they were waiting for it to arrive. We can see it throughout, even the disciples saying, at this time, are you going to set up the kingdom? Is it time? Is it time? They knew something big was going to happen. That's why they got all excited when Jesus comes into the, and finally in Jerusalem on the donkey and they bless us, he who's come in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us now. Here it is. The kingdom is coming. But then at the same time, we see that they had expectations of a grand kingdom when they rejected him, when he didn't prove to live up to their expectations. They wanted a king on a throne. Instead, they got a baby in a manger. They wanted a heroic warrior. Instead, they got a suffering servant from Nazareth of all places. And the Jews weren't wrong in expecting a great kingdom. That's not, the, that's not where they went wrong. The, the problem where they got wrong was they, they didn't understand how it was going to come to pass. They didn't know how the kingdom was going to come about. They thought it was going to, to come one way, and Jesus came and showed them going to actually come in a very unexpected way. And Jesus describes it with a mustard seed. This parable isn't necessarily stressing the eventual greatness of the coming kingdom. The Jews already had that part understood. He was teaching them how the kingdom was going to get its start. It's focusing on the present state of the kingdom rather than its final state. Jesus explained that the little mustard seed is inconsequential in its beginning. It's not that, it's not that big. If you've ever had a mustard seed, most of us, uh, the extent of our mustard knowledge is a giant yellow jar that uh, squirts out uh, mustard juice. And uh, so, you know, maybe you don't know what a mustard seed is, but it's really small, okay? And it's, and it's really tiny, and it's not something that you, that you can uh, easily keep track of. It's very, very small inconsequential. Like, what can come from this? But Jesus explains to them what they already know. That tiny mustard seed planted in the ground grows into a tree. It grows into something big enough for the birds to come and make nests in. To to, to be in its shade. To to take shelter from its branches. And likewise, the kingdom of God will come. And it will be great and glorious, but it will come from humble beginnings. It will start out small unnoticed by many, but it will grow and become something very great. And we have the third parable, which is the parable of the leaven or the yeast. And once again, Jesus takes a scene from everyday life and he applies it to a spiritual truth. Like the parable of the mustard seed, this one has to do with the relative size of the present kingdom. But unlike the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of leaven isn't about how it grows in size, but how it spreads in influence. It's just one verse, verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Carson calls this intensive transformation. Whereas the mustard seed grows in outward visible ways, you can see it growing, the yeast works on the inside, permeating from within. Like leaven or yeast, the kingdom has far-reaching effects. It starts with just a small amount, but over time spreads quietly, sometimes unnoticed, but definitely working itself throughout the whole. And think about how the gospel has spread 
from the early days. It started with 12. Started with 12 disciples. But by the end of three years of Jesus' ministry, there were 120 people in the upper room. By the end of Pentecost, there are 3,000 people added to the church. And from there, the gospel continues to spread down through the centuries and the millennia. Crossing borders and cultures and languages, it started with the Jews, and now it's to the Gentiles, and it's all over the world now. Roman dictators tried to stomp it out in the first days, but it spread further. Men like Saul of Tarsus devoted themselves to eradicating the gospel and the kingdom, and it extended further. And it was actually those those challenges, those persecutions that Push the gospel further. Push the, the, the good news of the kingdom into the far corners of the world. It even reached Saul himself, who became the great Apostle Paul, the missionary, and maybe the one most responsible for uh, delivering the, the, the gospel to, uh, to our day, to our location. Definitely one who is responsible for writing the majority of the New Testament. The gospel, the kingdom, it's made its way into closed countries like China today. It continues to spread in parts of Asia and the Middle East where the gospel of the kingdom is outlawed, it's persecuted. Though Satan may try to dilute it, he tries to mix it in with something else, he tries to, to eradicate it, the message of the kingdom continues to thrive. He'll attack it. He'll try to defeat it. He'll try to disprove it. He'll do anything he can. But the kingdom of God marches on, pervading and spreading its influence all over the world. I read an interesting story about this uh, this leaven, and it was in a Jewish culture where a young bride would receive as a wedding gift from her mother a small piece of unleavened dough uh, that uh, that had been taken from a, a lump that was uh, baked fresh that morning of her of her wedding, and uh, she, the new wife would then use that that little piece of leavened dough to continue making bread for her new family. She was carrying something from her childhood home into her new home, and one day when her daughter got married, would pass that same leavened dough down to her daughter, who would continue the cycle. This was a very special gift, not really much of a gift. Uh, in terms of expense, but definitely in terms of meaning. It was a very significant gift because it represented that something was being passed down from generation. It was something from my house, my childhood, my upbringing. Now I'm bringing into this new home, and what was once a a staple in my home will now be introduced as a staple and, and spread into this new one. From one generation to the next, the leaven continued to spread not just from one particular lump of dough, but also two new lumps of dough as it was mixed in with it. This is the power of the kingdom. This is the power of the gospel. John MacArthur wrote, the power of the kingdom of heaven is great, far greater than its initial size and appearance would suggest. It's going to endure. It's going to be great. It will be Great. It will continue to transform lives. It is already, but it continues to be so. Now, in verse 34 and 35, Matthew breaks in. He kind of stops this story to tell us something important about the way that Jesus teaches. And it is, and and that the way Jesus is teaching by using parables is not a coincidence. It's not just 
uh, happened to be that Jesus liked telling stories. He's a storyteller. The fact that Jesus teaches in parables is a fulfillment of the words of a prophet in Psalm 78. You can look at it uh, if you'd like to later on. It's Psalm 78, verse 2. But Matthew writes, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And Matthew recognized that by teaching in parables, Jesus was fulfilling what, a, what the prophet Asaph had said. Asaph wrote written uh, many, many of the Psalms, and he had said something very similar to uh, what Matthew is quoting here. So, like I said, Psalm 78 too, you can look at it there. Parables were a, an important part of Jewish pedagogy. So maybe it's he's, he's simply telling us that Jesus is identifying himself as a teacher of wisdom, fulfilling the Old Testament pattern of teaching in parables and urging his listeners to really listen in and apply the truths to their to their to their apply themselves to the truth. But maybe there's more here. I think that we've already seen Jesus use parables to reveal kingdom truth and to conceal kingdom truth to different groups of people. And so by opening his mouth in parables, as the first part of that that prophecy says, uh, we see how he interacted with the people. How did Jesus interact with them? By opening his mouth in parables. And then by the second phrase, by uttering what has been hidden, we see why he teaches this way in order to, to reveal or in order to conceal. For those who are the good ground, the good seed, the believing sons of the kingdom, the sons and daughters of the kingdom, the parables reveal kingdom truths that have been long hidden and will remain hidden from those who do not believe. But here's, but from all of this, not just from this passage, but in all four of the, the sections that we've looked at, we see this one big idea continuing throughout. God is in control. Everything that's going on is going on by God's plan. We see that in Jesus' acknowledgement about his rejection by the Jews. We see it in the relatively small amount of people who would receive him at first. We see it in the present reality of the wheat and weeds growing together. We see it in the humble beginnings, but the eventual and unmistakable growth and the unstoppable influence of his kingdom. We see it in the sure and coming harvest when wheat and tare are separated, when the weeds are burned and the wheat shine like the sun. And so the message is very simple, and it is this. Trust God's plan. God has a plan. God knows what He's doing. Trust God's plan. Trust God's timing. There will be weeds among the wheat. There will be evil in the world. But there's hope. There's hope of a harvest. There's hope of justice and judgment. There's hope of a present and coming kingdom. So be encouraged, Christian. God is in control. When we look around at all the the trouble that's going on in our world, take five minutes on the news and you see this world is messed up. Read the newspaper. Check the, check the, 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 the top news stories uh, of the day, and, and, and you're reminded on a daily basis that this world is messed up. It's broken. All the messes we've made in our own lives, the evil and the wickedness that surrounds us, we can know that nothing is happening to stop God's plan. And everything will happen in God's way and in God's time. So be encouraged. 
by that. Read these types of stories and then look in the world and say, he knew about this and he's got a plan. But also be patient because God is doing his plan in his timing. God does what pleases him and what fulfills his purposes. We want the wrong fixed right now, yesterday. I want the the bad to go away. I want the evil to be punished. I want justice to prevail today. It's not how it works. God allows weeds to grow among the wheat. Like the mustard seed and the yeast, it's not going to happen suddenly or quickly. But His purposes will be accomplished. His kingdom will overcome the darkness, fear, hate, sin, and injustice. So, be encouraged and be patient. And if you're not a child of the kingdom, a disciple of Jesus, be warned that judgment will come. The same harvest day that believers look forward to, we will rejoice in one day, is the same harvest day that will condemn unbelievers. It's time to turn from... God has allowed time to repent. This, this, this waiting until harvest time is, is, is an opportunity for those who would not believe to believe. For those who are unrepentant to repent, to turn from sin and rebellion and rejection and turn to Jesus. Make no mistake, harvest is going to come and one day God will send His angels to gather and separate those who do not believe in His Son from those who do. Those who have fully turned to Jesus for salvation, who hear His message, receive it, who allow the Word to penetrate the soil of their heart and produce fruit. These are the good soil. These are the good seed. I don't know who you, which one you are. I like to look as a pastor of a church, and if you're a part of this church, we try to be very careful and you know, being you know, not just allowing just anybody and everybody to unite with the body, but we don't know for sure what you are. So we're not looking, and and I hope that no one else is looking and saying, "Well, so and so over there, I don't know about that. There might be weed or weed. I don't know." Don't worry about that. Look at your heart. Are you? See, are you growing in the kingdom of God or are you among the kingdom but not the good seed? Be warned, judgment is coming. But be encouraged, harvest is approaching. And be patient because it all is going to happen in God's time. Let's pray.